just a reminder, if you find my speaking voice too slow, you can uh, change the settings to speed up the playback. Thanks for listening to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. Welcome back to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. Today's podcast is kind of a multi-topic one that is just some topics that have been on my mind this week. <laughs> I've been really busy and I haven't been able to like fully develop any of them. So, you know, have a listen and, you know, if it seems, if you don't like the first part, try the second part. <laughs> And um, the, the, the thread that ties it all together is that things are happening behind the scenes in our lives and we don't always know what God's up to, but we can trust him. So stay faithful because God is faithful and just, you know, don't be drawn into the drama of the media or the worldliness of the world. It's just... Keep, keep the faith. I'm your host, Paula Adams, and today is September 12th, 2023. Yes, it's the day after 9-11, and it seems that we may have gotten through yesterday without any uh, false flags or terrorist attacks or anything. So thank you, God, for that. Speaking of that, today's topic is going to be how God uses the enemies of freedom to get our attention. And I've been studying First uh, Samuel in my Bible study, and we're in chapter 4, where Israel was having to deal with the Philistines or Philistines, I'm not sure which is actually proper pronunciation of that word, but I just call them the Philistines. But these pagan peoples had captured the Ark of the Covenant, and when they did, God would send, you know, plagues and cancers, tumors on the people of the Philistines, the town that had the ark because the ark belonged to God's people and it was a special thing for them. Well, I was thinking about how, like I said, God uses our enemies to get our attention. And that's exactly what it said in my lesson that God had used the Philistines for a time to get his people's attention. But now, after the, the people returned to God, God was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Samuel was like a judge, a prophet. He was God's man on the ground during that time before the first king, King Saul, took his place as the leader of the Israelites. So Samuel was the, the highest leader of the land during that time and I had just been studying yesterday about an interesting time in Texas history when the 
the schools, the uh, Texas Education Association, the TEA, decided to start bullying homeschool families and trying to force them to enroll their children in the public schools. And for the most part, these were all Christian families that were homeschooling at that time. This was in the 80s. And it was uh, up until that point, um, Texas had allowed homeschoolers to, to do their thing without interference. But for some reason, they just popped up and started saying, oh no, you have to go, you have to put your kids in school. So I don't know what was going on at that time. Uh, well, it was the 80s, right? So they prob the schools probably needed more money. And so they were trying to get all the kids into the schools so they could get more, more money per pupil. Um, but it could have just been a power grab. But either way, a righteous man decided to fight. And he took the TEA to court to get the courts to make a ruling on whether or not homeschooling was legal. And so after the, the courts ruled that the, the homeschoolers could, could, you know, continue on, that they were to be treated like private schools. But then the, the TEA appealed to the, the next court and that court also ruled in favor of the homeschoolers. So then it went to the Texas Supreme Court. And when that happened, uh, the final ruling was that the homeschoolers could continue. And some laws were written down, some, some guidelines for homeschoolers, which are basically for our protection, but also for the protection of children in that they do say that, you know, you can't just be pretending to homeschool. You have to actually be teaching your kids. But there's no, like, reporting or testing or anything that the schools can do to try to persecute you. Although sometimes they still try. So I was just thinking how in that, there was like a parallel in that story where the TEA were the Philistines and they were attacking the homeschoolers and then when the homeschoolers appealed to the courts you know righteously God ruled and you know the courts ruled in their favor so in in this case the courts were used to defend freedom and I really think that this is a good lesson, and actually it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, is that the courts are our, our last hope in America. And as people who want to defend freedom, we need to start taking more people to court. We need to sue the bullies in court so that we can set down precedent, you know, precedents for laws to protect our rights. And, you know, the liberals have been using that tactic against the free people for years. And, you know, it's time for people who are on the side of the law, the right side of the law, to start using the courts again. And I know that it's expensive, but 
it's how our country is set up and it is actually how God's God's ways are. God has laws and he set up courts and he had judges and this is the way that people retain freedom. But another another note on that was that, you know, while this was going on, the Philistine or the Israelites did not necessarily react the way they should. They, um, for one thing, they were worshiping false gods, and God did not get on their side until they got rid of their false god worship, their idols, and the other things they were doing for these false gods. So as I was listening to this, what I recorded, um, I realized that I was not making really the best comparison when I compared the the uh, homeschool um, cases to the the Samuel passages because in the homeschool cases the um, the people were in the right the homeschoolers were in the right so in that case the people were being persecuted by the school districts but in in this case God used the courts to protect the homeschoolers not to punish them so you know, you know, it, it looked, it, you know, they were persecuted and people, people were greatly distressed by the persecution. But in the end, God meant it for good. So this is a little bit different, you know, because in the Samuel case, the Israelites were not in the right. Now he did end up bringing them around he got their attention whenever he brought the Philistines against them but they're not exactly the same so it, you know I just I realized that I made a, a bad comparison there so I just wanted to say that because I'm sure some people were noticed that and they're like wait a minute <laughs> this is not the same but you know sometimes when I'm making a podcast my brain is just kind of uh, free associating and I don't always get it right but in general there is a, a connection between the two stories and that is that God is working in our lives and sometimes he uses you know different methods to do it you know as I said the homeschoolers they were doing the right thing and they were persecuted. The Israelites were doing the wrong thing and they were attacked. But in the end, God prevailed in the lives of both the Christian homeschoolers by protecting them for generations, uh, you know, and setting up a whole structure of lawyers and um, laws that could protect future homeschoolers. And in the case of the Israelites, he returned them, you know, for one generation to himself. And as we will learn in the next chapter, in the next period of history, 
after Samuel got old, the people wanted a king and they did not they did not stay faithful to God. So God gave them another lesson after that. He he gave them a king that was not from the line of the kings. He was a Benjamin a Benjamite, a Benjaminite. I don't know how he he was from the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> and um he was the kings were supposed to be from the line of Judah. So it wasn't until after Saul that God gave them David. And David is the great 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 grandfather of Jesus on his mother's side. Obviously his father is God. So Saul was, you know, doomed from the beginning because he wasn't he wasn't, you know, the people wanted a king, but they didn't want a godly king. I mean, they they just wanted a king. They just they really didn't care about God the way they should. And God knew that, and that's why he gave them he gave them Saul the first time around. But uh then he then he said, "Okay, now I'm going to give you a good king. So, you know, when we read the Bible, we need to realize that there are big lessons and there are small lessons. And looking, and when we look at our own lives, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. We can see where God was guiding us along and he, he let things happen for a reason. And some people don't like that idea. They're like, no, good thing, you know, bad things don't always happen for a reason. Sometimes they're just bad things. Well, you know, for Christians, there's no bad luck. There's no bad luck. There's no coincidences. And there's no, you know, if if you're in God's will, if something bad happens, God has a purpose for allowing that to happen. But remember, God never creates evil. He you know, we bring it on ourselves in different ways. And sometimes we're the victims of other people's sin. But if God allows you to be a victim of somebody else's sin, then don't run away from him. Turn to him and see how he can use that bad thing in your life for something good. Just keep trusting him in good days and bad days. That's what faith is all about. And we have, you know, a whole lifetime to learn that lesson. But the sooner we learn it, the better. So I really want to uh, do a podcast about Vivek, Vivek <laughs> Ramaswamy. And maybe I'll just mention that here. Um, that I feel like Vivek should not be our president but he is a good candidate like the the things he wants to do for america are good things he wants to get he wants to gut the government and just get rid of entire agencies like the fbi and the department of education and you know i like his ideas i really do but I think that he might be better as like a Supreme Court justice. He's he's a lawyer and he knows the law really well. I'm afraid that if God 
gives us a Hindu president, that that is actually going to be a judgment, not a blessing. And I don't know how, I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I just have a bad feeling that it's not going to go the way we think it will. Like maybe he will be a good president and then another one will come after him that will be bad. I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have a, you know, God didn't tell me anything. I'm just looking at, you know, the fact that he is a Hindu and even though he's he's got some good ideas, I just don't think that that's what God wants for America. I just don't. Although I am not a Christian nationalist at all and I want to keep separation of church and state in place. In fact, you know, one thing I like about Vivek is that he is basically a libertarian. And I am a Christian libertarian myself. So if he was a Christian, I would be electing him in a heartbeat. But the fact that he's not a Christian, and you know, I pray for him that he will get saved and his family. But, um, you know, unfortunately, he's he talks about God, but he doesn't really know God. You know, he's he's a... A Hindu. Hindus don't know God. He might be close. I don't know. I mean, he's definitely been influenced by Christians in his life. He's been around a lot of Christians and had Christian uh, tutors and he went to Christian school and things like that. So, you know, if somebody would just preach the gospel to him, maybe he would become a Christian. That would be awesome. Because he does have some really good conservative libertarian policies that he wants to implement. And he knows the laws. He's ready to just go in there and tear it up even more than Trump did. So, you know, don't believe all the stuff about the World Economic Forum and all that. I encourage you to watch some of his actual speeches that you can find um, on, on YouTube. Watch the speeches, especially the ones where he was speaking to like a smaller group, not really a campaign speech. Uh, I watched a really good one today that was, I think it was called Forbes Breaking News or something. Uh, That was the name of the YouTube channel. And he was, you know, he was, he sounded like a lecturer from Hillsdale College. You know, he's that conservative and that libertarian. Um, If you don't know what a libertarian is, I will give you a brief uh, synopsis. Let me pause this real quick. Okay, so if you've never heard of Christian libertarians, you know, most people haven't. I discovered them in 2020 or so when I, I don't, I don't remember exactly. But I'm going to read what it says on the libertarianchristians.com mission, mission, vision, and core values. Core values, we believe every Christian libertarian should feel confident affirming. And they are, let's see, a free society, a world that demonstrates that individual liberty is a force for the common good, and that 
political expression of our faith inclines us toward individual liberty and free markets. Okay, so Christian libertarians tend to be of the Austrian school of economics that not that many conservatives have heard of, but the younger ones have. Uh, Let's see. Okay, core value number one, Christian political philosophies should be informed by a holistic view of scripture, reason, and historical theology. The state is never to be confused with the kingdom of God. When the power of the state grows, the rightful influence of churches, families, and local communities is diminished. So they they are not, you know, trying to blend church and state at all. Core value number two, a free and civil society depends upon respect for the non-aggression principle. This is a really big one for libertarians, and they, they are mostly anti-war, anti-coercion, and they believe in personal freedom. But, you know, they also believe in self-defense. Number three, core value, individual liberty and the common good are not at odds. So they believe in voluntary cooperation, respect for freedom, and voluntary trade, innovation, creation, collaboration, sharing. And obviously, these are all biblical concepts. Number four, social institutions matter for human flourishing. And they believe that we can work together to develop institutions that are voluntary, peaceful, and non-coercive. In other words, unlike the ones we have now that are compulsory. Christian theology, number five, uh, core value, affirms the essential tenets of free market economics. Respect for private property, voluntary exchange, condemnation, and prosecution of theft and the value of cooperation and service towards achieving common goals. This is what defines capitalism in the libertarian view. And these are also classical liberal ideas. Um, Wealth is a tool given by God, and all who possess such wealth are expected to utilize it for God's kingdom and the good of our neighbor. Taxation and regulation tend to destroy wealth, discourage innovation, and centralize power, and therefore hamper our ability to fulfill the calling of God. Where free markets are allowed to flourish, human beings will prosper both materially and spiritually. Additionally, Christian ethics helps equip our economies for service toward God and neighbor. So those are just some of them. This is a great website, libertarianchristians.com. They have podcasts on here. They have books you can get. Um, They have articles. So, you know, they talk about abortion, nationalism, 
patriotism, socialism, marriage, war, pacifism, wealth, wokeism, immigration, taxation. This is a really good website, so I encourage you to check it out. And you might you might find that you're actually a libertarian, not a conservative. I mean, yes, there's some overlap there, but libertarians go even further towards personal freedom. It's more like, you know, too many conservatives to now nowadays are actually for big government. And so libertarians are like shrinking the government. That's why I say that Vivek Ramaswamy, he even says that he used to be a libertarian, but he decided to join the conservative party. And I would think, I don't remember why he said that, you know, what was his reason, but I'm sure it was because he knows no libertarian candidate has ever been elected. So, you know, good move on his part. So anyway, back to God getting our attention. I feel like we're kind of at a crossroads here in America and the and even the Democrats know this and they are determined that you know they're going to win the election. I've seen, you know, I follow I follow, you know, some of the Democrat stuff so I can see, you know, keep stay close to your enemy, right? Well, you know, they're not all our enemies, but some of them are. And we need to know what they're what they're saying to their constituents. And they're telling their constituents that conservatives are going to, you know, feel uh just all kinds of things. You know, we're all Christian nationalists, for example. And, you know, uh, one of the things I saw on this libertarian website was a really, it was a link to a YouTube video. It was really interesting. It was an interview between a Christian libertarian and an atheist libertarian. And they were both on the same page about freedom. And they were like, you know, We need to work together to preserve freedom, religious freedom, because, you know, we disagree on our beliefs, but we both want the freedom to live according to our beliefs. And I was like, wow, you know, where this is where we're at now, where atheists and Christians are both afraid of losing their freedom. And, you know, actually willing to come together. Not all of them, of course. A lot of atheists really hate Christians. And they they think that Christians are trying to take away their freedom of religion. But, I mean, there's there's so much false information out there. You know, as a libertarian, I, I you know, pray that these atheists will come to Christ. But I also want them to have freedom. And I want us to have freedom. So, you know, this is a really big, big question. Are Christians in America willing to allow other people to have their own beliefs? And that's what libertarians are all about, is I'm, you know, I'm willing to let you have your own beliefs, even though I think they're wrong. And, you know, I do that because I want you to allow me the same right 
And that's what America was formed. You know, why America was created in the first place? Well, basically, it was why the original pilgrims and Puritans came here was to escape religious persecution and to worship God the way they wanted to. And the founders, you know, put that in the Constitution for a reason. And we need to make sure that we don't, you know, we don't change that. So, you know, I wrote a whole blog about Christian nationalism and the dangers of it. But I feel like it's been talked about so much. And I don't really know how much of a risk it is. You know, I feel like it's a fringe group. But I feel like it's being used, you know, it's being used to, uh, by the media to make conservatives look like we're all right-wing Christian nationalists, you know, all white supremacists who want to put the, you know, put a preacher in the office of president or something like that, you know, and end separation of church and state. I surely do not want to do that because that, if we do that, that can be used against us in the future. We must keep religious freedom at all costs. That's got to happen. Religious freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of association, and gun rights. We, we need to protect them. And obviously, libertarians believe in all of those. So this podcast might be a little, you know, all over the place. So if you made it this far, thanks for listening and have a great weekend.